Hello, my name's Frank and I'm the host of the UFO Thinker podcast. I'd always been mildly interested in UFOs, but like many people, the events of 2017 ignited a fire of curiosity for the UFO topic, which has been raging ever since. I wanted to start a podcast, but initially thought, well, I'm not an astrophysicist, I'm not a fighter pilot, and I've never even seen a UFO. I'm just a normal guy who's interested in this mystery. But that's when a light bulb went off. There are so many other people just like me who are fascinated with this stuff. So why not start a podcast to talk about it from the ordinary guy's perspective? All the BS stripped away, as a few people have said. And let's see if we can get to the truth in all of this. Thanks to everyone who's been on board with the journey so far. It's been amazing to see so many listeners tuning in. And if you're new here, welcome. You can now support the podcast on Patreon with tiers starting from £3 per month. The podcast will always be 100% free, but supporting the show in this way allows me to devote more time and make the show bigger and better. Higher tiers also include special benefits such as being able to suggest episode topics and get merchandise. And I really truly appreciate every listener whether you support on Patreon or not. So now with all of that said, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast, or welcome back to uh, the UFO Thinker podcast. Uh, my name is Frank, and let's get cracking. So the reason I say welcome back is because it's been a bit of a weird one this week. So I basically thought I'll get right on top of the game, pre-record my recent events podcast, and I did that. I think it was Monday. Um, posted it on the Patreon early access for all the patrons, and then all hell broke loose uh, with the news stuff. So basically, I decided to keep the recent events podcast as it previously was because I went into all kinds of things uh, which you may have just heard or you may not. You might be hearing this one first. It is a bit confusing, unfortunately, but the way I decided to do it was keep that recent events podcast up as it was and do um, basically like an update, which is what this one is right here. So Basically, in my recent events podcast, I went into all kinds of stuff to do with Anjali and uh, the cube on the moon and the James Webb telescope and the differences between the AOI MSG and the Astro Office and things like that. Um, and in that podcast, I basically mentioned that the Gillibrand Amendment had sort of stalled and that was it and probably weren't going to see any progress until after Christmas, um, which is based on some things that I'd read in an article on the debrief, which at the time of, of saying it was correct, but the situation changed significantly um, like the day after. <laughs> so, so here we go. And this is basically this uh, episode now, the update is going to be pretty much just about um, what's happened with this Julie Brown amendment. So before I get into it then, um, I'm going to be referring to the Gillibrand Amendment, if I remember to do so anyway, as the GRG, which is now how a lot of articles uh, and people who've been talking about this online have been referring to it, just to um, avoid any confusion, because there are numerous other Gillibrand Amendments in place, and there's there's hundreds of other amendments that... Um, you know that aren't directly related to uh, Gillibrand, but um, the one that we're talking about obviously is the one that relates to um, the UFO office or the UAP office, which is um, scheduled to be uh, hopefully created. And um, the reason it's called GRG is because the kind of key players at the forefront of bringing this forward are um, Gillibrand, uh, Rubio, and Galejo. Um, I think I'm saying that right, bit of a difficult one to pronounce, so hence the GRG. So just to um, make sure it's very clear what amendment we're talking about, the GRG is the Gillibrand Amendment essentially, um, but that's just a clearer way of putting it. So let's get into the nitty gritty. So as of December the 7th, 10pm Eastern Standard Time, the US House of Representatives has passed the negotiated NDAA bill, S1605, which includes the strong wording on the UAP uh, issue, uh, with most of the important key parts left intact. 
So this basically comes after there had been some changes requested to various other aspects of the NDAA, not necessarily UAP related, which is what I mentioned in my previous recent events podcast. Um, So the, the bill was basically sent back to Congress to have certain aspects ironed out and the wording slightly changed and actually there were some bits of the UAP uh, side of it actually changed as well Um, but then after ironing out all of those bits and pieces it was then approved uh, by the House of Representatives 363 to 70 was the numbers there so overwhelmingly everybody was in favour of it and, and it was then sent back to the Senate so the way that this actually works is um there's like a process in place just for anybody who's not aware of it and you know i'm no expert on u.s political processes but as with anything that i talk about on the podcast i'm really trying to understand it as best i can so if there is any bits that i get wrong you know you know don't uh don't hold me to it don't shoot me or anything like that i'm just uh trying to, to explain it as best that i understand it and if anybody is an expert on on these kind of things and, and notice anything that's slightly not right do let me know but as far as i'm aware um this is the way that it works so when new legislation a new bill is introduced first of all it has to pass the house of representatives and then once that has done it then ha- is get passed over to the senate and it has to pass the approval of the senate and then after that it then goes to the president to be signed and then it comes into law and uh this is on the uh the actual website the official website um which talks all about the ndaa uh, the, the american senate website and that is the they have like a tracker which basically follows new legislations and and that's directly taken from there so um that's how the process works and essentially what happened was it it reached the senate and then was sent back to the house of representatives for some changes and then now it's gone back to the senate again the difference is this time it's been sort of pre-approved i apologize for my voice by the way i've got another pretty bad cold at the moment so (laughs) my voice results may vary um and you might hear me stopping and starting the recording a little bit as i uh have a little break to cough and clear my throat but the difference is this time it has been sort of pre-approved after having been through that process so it's now most likely that it will continue to be approved by the senate and once that takes place all that's left then is for the president to sign it off so we are looking at potentially over the over the christmas period or early 2022 if all goes well then the legislation will go through the wider NDAA will be approved and in, included in that is obviously going to be the, the particular legislation that we're looking at uh, out of particular interest in the UFO topic, which is going to be this new UAP office. So I'm not going to lie, it's looking good. It's looking very, very good, but nothing is really set in stone at this point. There may be some further wranglings of wording, etc., but that's quite unlikely to affect the actual UAP side of things from what I gather. So, as I said, the fact that much of the key languages remained intact to do with the UFO office, the UAP office, is really quite remarkable, actually. And essentially what this is doing is clearly stating that Congress wants to get this topic taken more seriously and that the way that they're going to be able to do that is to hold the DOD and the IC to account. So that's the Department of Defense and the intelligence community. And essentially, they're going to be forced to engage with Congress and therefore, you know, the public as, as a result of that in tackling this issue head on. So, so far, so good. Fantastic news. But um, there have been some things, like I said, the key wording and the key points of, of what's going into the um, the, the proposal of, of bringing this UAP office to fruition. The key bits are still there, which is great, but there are some things that haven't made it. So let's go through those a little bit. So the provision that would have created a civilian-based UAP advisory committee has been dropped so that's likely due to um pentagon bureaucrats as reported by uh, d dean johnson um who's been reporting in 
great detail about uh, this particular issue and he seems to think that it's basically um pentagon bureaucracy has basically caused the um the the, the civilian based uap advisory committee to be dropped probably because of concerns about classified information and the fact that it's a civilian uh, committee so one of the kind of caveats of you know allowing this this to go through is that that was dropped so that's been actually taken away from the wording but from the way i understand it there still remains the possibility that that could be then added back in at some point it is quite a long and drawn out process of getting these things through so there's always the chance that this could change again as time goes along and uh, the the whole thing about that was that it was supposed to be a 25 member advisory committee uh, and each member um, would have been required to qualify for a secret clearance and there's very harsh penalties for violating that clearance and and Avi Loeb has actually said that he doesn't want any kind of clearance or access to classified data so that he can be completely transparent about everything he knows and Avi Loeb was actually one of the people who was going to be on that 25 member advisory committee so to be honest it's kind of not the end of the world in a way because some people I've spoken to have kind of wondered about how, you know, transparent the Galileo project, you know, is going to be if they're involved in potentially being having access to classified data. And, and you know, it, it does kind of muddy the waters there because one of the real, you know, plus points of the Galileo project is that they're going to be completely transparent and everything they discover they can share with the public and if they suddenly have certain very important people within the Galileo project who are getting classified information, it does get a bit tricky. So in some ways, maybe it's not such a bad thing. Um, but as I say, that situation may change as well. Um, but we'll, we'll just have to see how all of that goes. But as I say, I think there's a possibility there that could be a bit of a blessing in disguise so you're going to have the galileo project carrying on on its own path you know in in a way rather than being lumped in with this new uap office uh, to a certain extent but anyway a bit of speculation on my part there but as i say i think it may be a bit of a blessing in disguise so another casualty has been the name Astro, which is a bit of a shame because obviously that's such a cool name. I think we're all hoping that Astro would be the name of this new UAP office. So that's been dropped and the name is now yet to be decided and I think it will remain up in the air for now. Uh, so I'll just call it the UAP office. So just to be clear, if I'm referring to the, the UAP office, I'm talking about what was going to be the Astro office, which is now going to be called something else. And I just hope it's not some kind of horrible acronym like the AOIMSG because that would be a, a damn shame. So let's hope it's something cool like Astro or at least a bit cooler than the other one. Um, but as I say, even with those things that have been taken away, I think the main thing is, you know, despite some, you know, compromising sacrifice, despite a little bit of that, what is still in there does look very promising indeed. Um, and I am very optimistic about it, but a little bit cautious about other things as well. So I'll go into that in a little bit. But here's the main exciting aspects, all right? So we can all go, yeah, fantastic. We're making some good progress. And this is the bits that you can think like that about for sure, okay? So this is the first time ever that Congress has put something in place to require cooperation from all of these various government agencies and uh, all previous reports etc that have happened have been sort of self-governed ways of basically managing public perception according to how much they decide they want to unveil of, of what they know you know various departments over the years have had these uh, these you know semi-disclosure type of things where they look at they go okay fine we'll look into it and then actually it's all a bit of a you know they just gloss over it like the various things that have happened over the years um but you know this is a bit different so the reason for that is because it requires that cooperation from all of these different agencies within uh, the government and the handing over of data as well from across the board is a legal requirement if this goes through which remember it hasn't actually gone through into law yet but if it does and it's looking like it's on the path to to, to the president's desk where it will get that signature to actually 
actually happen, um, then yeah, it will be a pretty significant development if that actually goes to, uh, to plan. Can you imagine if it happens at Christmas? It'll be the best Christmas present ever for any anyone interested in UFOs. Um, so who knows, it may well do that. Or if not, it'll be a great start to the new year. So the GRG text uh, as it stands requires the director of the Pentagon UAP office to supervise development of a uh, of a science plan and I'm going to read out uh, the specifics of that science plan so some of these uh, various quotes that I'm going to go into are going to be quite long but I don't just want to kind of gloss over the details here I thought you know if we're going to dig into it might as well actually look at the wording as, as they've actually uh, written it as well so uh, science plan so this is all directly quoting from the actual official wording so the head of the office established under subsection a on behalf of the secretary and the director shall supervise the development and execution of a science plan to develop and test as practicable scientific theories to one account for characteristics and performance of unidentified aerial phenomena that exceed the known state-of-the-art in science or technology, including in the areas of propulsion, aerodynamic control, signatures, structures, materials, sensors, countermeasures, weapons, electronics, and power generation, and to provide the foundation for potential future investments to replicate any such advanced characteristics and performance. So obviously some pretty intense wording going into that there, which is really quite interesting. And again, I'll come back to this in a little bit. Very, very promising wording, great to see it, but there are various different interpretations as, as to what that can mean. Uh, you know, it's very exciting. That's the most important thing there, I think, to actually, um, you know, to, to focus on. So, and then the next thing uh, I wanted to point out as well from the official wording is the language mandates that the secretary and the DNI shall, quote, ensure that each element of the intelligence community with data related to unidentified aerial phenomena makes such data available immediately to the UAP office. And, unquote. and to help enforce that, this bill actually requires that at least twice a year, quote, the chairman and vice chairman or ranking member of the Committee on Armed Services and the Select Committee on Intelligence of the Senate and the Committee on Armed Services and the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence of the House of Representatives shall receive an enumeration of any instances in which data related to unidentified aerial phenomena was denied to the office because of classification restrictions on that data or for any other reason, unquote. So it's basically saying there that if anybody doesn't hand over the data that they've got, if there's any departments there that don't hand over that data, then there's going to be a report generated twice a year detailing exactly who it was, which departments didn't cooperate in handing over this data. So really trying to hold the people who may hold the information accountable. You know, we need to get this data. If you're not going to give it us, we're going to go after you and get this data. So very interesting that. And another quote then I thought was uh, worth going through was the, there's kind of a uh, what they call a right to report provision, which basically says that there must be something put in place so that military and civilian personnel attached to the military or intelligence community, including contractors, can actually more efficiently report UAP related events, including quote, adverse physiological effects, unquote. And this is to be di directly reported to this new UAP, new UAP office. And uh, the great thing about that is it's really clearly uh, meant to get rid of a bit of stigma and put an actual proper channel in place for people to report these experiences and any adverse effects that they have physically uh, which i think is um obviously what we all want and there's uh you know the hope the hope there is to stop these you know and any specific good information any any really important information from being stopped from passing up that chain of command 
out of fear of ridicule or stigma, which is, I think, going to mean that there's going to be a lot more cases reported because some estimates, people say that up to 80% of UAP cases don't get reported for those reasons. And then out of the 20% that remain, there's only a very small percentage of those which actually end up you know being officially reported and people get convinced to drop these cases because it might be bad for the career and there's all kinds of factors in there so that that particular passage that i just went through there is specifically designed to get rid of stigma and to go look you know what we need to forget about all this nonsense about little green men if you see something a bit strange we need to know about it because we're looking into this stuff and that is big so really really pleased to see that being in there as well and uh, another important thing that's uh, that's written within the text as well that's required is that uh, this particular bill removes any ambiguity about whether spending money is is you know how how the actual funding for this thing is actually going to to, to occur and it actually specifically says quote to be appropriated such sums as may be necessary to carry out the work of the UAP office, including with respect to one, general intelligence gathering and intelligence analysis, and two, strategic defense, space defense, defense of controlled airspace, defense of ground, air, or naval assets, and related purposes, unquote. So basically, the idea of that is that whatever money is required to do this work is going to be authorized so it's not a case of you know it's badly funded they've not got enough staff they've not got the resources to be able to carry out the work this does away with that concept and they're actually going to be funded as much as deemed to be required which is you know again a fantastic point there so those are some of the really good things that that we're seeing uh, in the language of the of the bill that's actually looking like it's on the path to being approved into law which is great this is what we like to see people and i think it is worth as well before we go any further just having a a bit of a moment to sort of celebrate because there's a lot of activism within the ufo community that's took place you know the, the guys at ucr with the big phone home uh, have done a lot to encourage people to engage with politicians uh, and it's fantastic to see a lot of those efforts seem to have paid off here you know and, and also on top of that you've got the the kind of indirect thing of the amount of support lou elizondo and chris mellon have had you know from the ufo community and um we've as a community as the ufo community they have been sort of elevated really they've been given more of a platform i mean obviously they, they, they would have had a platform anyway but that support of the ufo community getting behind them and their message has really helped to elevate this i think and and chris mellon and luella zondo have had a part to play in the exact wording of this gillibrand amendment as alluded to by chris mellon recently in an interview so Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo have had the support they needed. You know, they've had the extra publicity they needed, and and they have been kind of the figurehead of this new disclosure movement that's emerged over the last few years. UFO Twitter being a big part of that, and you know everybody who's actually done anything. If you've contacted a representative, if you've supported Lou Elizondo and retweeted his message and and helped to get that out there, I think everybody deserves a bit of a pat on the back all round. So definitely worth mentioning that there as well so another thing in the grg text then it actually requires this uap office to provide annual unclassified reports which will be available to the public so again an absolutely fantastic thing because there's again the people getting a bit concerned about the aoi msg me included and um, there was no provision within that particular group to provide unclassified reports and the fear there was that the aoi msg will just be the kind of the leading thing and the gillibrand amendment will fall by the wayside and we won't see unclassified reports it's going to be the secret keepers keeping their own secrets and you know investigating themselves it would have been a nightmare as it turns out, we have now, well, it's looking very likely that we're going to have this new UAP office, which is going to have very wide ranging powers to look into the topic, and it will be providing unclassified reports, which is fantastic. So on top of that, there will be classified reports shown to eight congressional committees. 
and six of these eight committees will receive twice a year classified reports. So I have actually heard uh, people mention that there may be elements of those twice a year reports that are unclassified as well and available to the public, but from what I've been looking at so far, I can't actually find anything within the official wording to confirm that those twice a year reports will be unclassified. Um, so it's a bit of a tricky one because I haven't seen the text myself that says that, but I have heard from some uh, some very uh, reputable sources uh, who've been reported on this that those twice a year reports will also have an unclassified part to them as well. So that'll be interesting to see. And, and the, the twice a year reports there, are actually on top of what uh, the the annual report will be as well. So we've got a number of different uh, reports that are going to be that are going to be coming in, and even if some of these reports are classified, um, there's always that possibility of hearing from people who attended the briefings little hints and breadcrumbs like we have in the past. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, there's some pretty strong uh, legal. Um, you know consequences if any of the classified information is actually uh, disseminated to the public from those reports so we are definitely not going to see any blatant um, you know giveaways of what's been seen behind closed doors but there's always that thing of you can kind of judge from somebody's reaction if you've got say a politician who doesn't take the thing very seriously and then all of a sudden they're in a classified briefing and then from that moment on they do take it seriously you've kind of got a good indication of some pretty significant information uh, in within that classified briefing. So again, even if we don't get to see every element of this as unclassified available to the public, there's still going to be things going on behind closed doors which will help to push things forward as well. So again, so far, everything very exciting and really, really good. And uh, those reports as well um, have to contain various points as well, which I'm going to go through now. So, one number one requirement, not later than October the 31st, 2022, and annual, annually thereafter until October the 31st, 2026, the director, in consultation with the secretary, shall submit to the appropriate congressional committees a report on unidentified aerial phenomena. So again, I think that's very important indeed because we're talking about um, you know something that's going to be going on for the next five years basically. Um, so it's not just going to be a, you know a one year thing. We're talking about annual reports on Halloween no less, which is going to be cool, isn't it? You know, get dressed up, do a bit of trick or treating, and read the report. Uh, quite looking forward to that. So obviously we have got a bit of time there to wait until the first uh, full report comes out, but it's uh, great that it's going to be uh, happening. And uh, number two, elements. Each report under paragraph one shall include, with respect to the year covered by the report, the following information. A. All reported unidentified aerial phenomena related events that occurred during the one-year period pretty self-explanatory we're talking about the report just has to contain all the cases gathered um you know within reason because obviously some of them might contain classified information and so on but um, the reports must contain all of the reports b all reported unidentified aerial phenomena related events that occurred during a period other than that one year period but were not included in an earlier report so i think that's pretty huge as well because we're talking about potentially there you know, if you're holding data on other things that happened before this one year period, we need to know about that stuff as well. If it's not been reported on, give us the info. And that could mean that some new cases come to light as a result of uh, the, the annual reports, which is great. And again, just depends how much of that is going to be in the unclassified elements of the report. C, an analysis of data and intelligence received through each reported unidentified aerial phenomena related event. So we're talking about a, a, a detailed analysis there um, of, of all the details of each uh, particular event that's uh, reported. And D, an analysis of data relating to unidentified aerial phenomena collected through geospatial intelligence, signals intelligence, human intelligence, and measurement and signature intelligence so again very detailed there's going to be multiple sources there of information and data and all of that's going to be included in these reports as well so looking excellent so far 
E, the number of reported incidents of unidentified aerial phenomena over restricted airspace of the United States during the one-year period. So that's talking about restricted airspace, which is probably going to be the area that the AOIMSG are going to be actually uh, looking at in particular. So um, the AOIMSG is basically limited to looking at restricted airspace over military facilities and so on. So it may be that they actually handle... Uh, the reports coming from those particular areas and pass that to the UAP office. Um, F, an analysis of such incidents identified under subparagraph E. So there they're talking about an analysis of the actual incidents reported over restricted airspace, which again could be quite interesting. Hopefully some of that is unclassified, we shall see. G, identification of potential aerospace or other threats posed by unidentified aerial phenomena to the national security of the united states so again there we are talking about you know evaluation of is this are we witnessing things how much are we witnessing analysis of exactly what we have witnessed and now an actual identification of how much of a threat that is to the national security of the united states h an assessment of any activity regarding unidentified aerial phenomena that can be attributed to one or more adversarial foreign governments. So again, obviously that is trying to draw a line of, right, okay, what's likely to be a Chinese or a Russian drone here? You know, what is likely to be some kind of technology spying on us and what is not that? without a shadow of a doubt and that will be very interesting to see how much uh you know what percentage of is is uh, regarded as as adversarial tech and what is truly anomalous i identification of any incidents or patterns regarding unidentified aerial phenomena that indicate a potential adversarial foreign government may have achieved a breakthrough aerospace capability so again we're talking about adversarial governments there but that's a bit more of an interesting point because it's saying okay what if the chinese have made a transmedium drone we have to consider these possibilities. I've heard a lot of Chris Mellon and a few other people have kind of thrown a bit of shade on China and said, well, you know, really they just copy US technology and things like that. But what if they have got a bit of a trick up their sleeve? What if they've managed to make some kind of transmedium drone technology? You know, and we have to bear in mind that this report is still considering that a possibility. And this, this report... Uh, you know this this uh, uap office should i say is considering that as a possibility and in these reports that is going to be a, a consideration of trying to ascertain which proportion of of these sightings can be explained by these potential things but i think that's very interesting i mean let's be honest if it comes out that russia have got a transmedium drone that's going to be pretty interesting and it's going to be a really important piece of information to know to help you know us kind of ordinary people you know civilians to actually try and understand like okay now we know that the the russians have this particular drone so sighting blah and blah can be explained by that so let's focus on the other sightings so again i think it'll be interesting to to see how that pans out and j an update on the coordination by the united states with allies and partners on efforts to track understand and address unidentified aerial phenomena so again that's something we've heard about a little bit before which is the cooperation with allies and the specific uh, sharing of information to get to the bottom of this and what's actually going on so i think that's an important thing um to uh to bear in mind as well so yeah i think those were um uh, the, the main kind of points i wanted to make about what's going to be included in the annual reports so that's uh you know that's going to be very interesting to see when that first report comes out um and uh, great to see that there is going to be reports that's the main thing so the another point that's quite interesting to to delve into here is that the grg text defines uap as unidentified airborne objects transmedium objects submerged objects not immediately identifiable that display behavior or performance characteristics suggesting that they may be related to unidentified aerial or transmedium objects so basically they're casting a very wide net there some of the wording in the aoi msg um proposal was um very specific to flying objects things that they're actually 
you know in the air a bit more of a traditional kind of uh, concept of you know unidentified flying objects whereas the new uap office is is talking about a wide range of things there you know transmedium and really casting a wide net anything weird we want to know about it um because it could be related to the the phenomenon that we're witnessing so that's what uh you know we like to see basically so lots of really exciting things going on there and uh 2022 is looking like it's going to be a very interesting year as i mentioned in the previous recent events uh, episode which uh, you know is kind of this is part two of we've got the james webb telescope and that's probably going to be feeding back some preliminary results early in 2022 and then obviously carrying on um We've got this, uh, the the you know the the rover on the on the moon, the Chinese uh, rover, which is going to be investigating that square. Which again, I, I'm not particularly optimistic that that's going to come to anything, but it'll still be interesting. We've also got this rover on Mars. You know, there's so many you know rods in the fire as they say you know there's there's a lot of interesting avenues to keep an eye on over the course of this next year and. Uh, the Galileo project as well are hopefully going to start, you know, providing some preliminary results. I think Avi Loeb said, um, you know, the first couple of months of 2022, they're hoping to have a working, um, you know, set up with the telescopes and sensor equipment. And then they're going to upscale that to various other locations as time goes on. So we could well see round about the time of the first annual report from the new UAP office obviously providing that does go ahead around that time we may have seen some pretty interesting results from the galileo project as well and what i wanted to touch on next is i don't want to be a party pooper okay <laughs> so so don't hate me but there are a few things that i have a bit of a niggling concern about with all of this because you know it's it's all looking very promising and like i said earlier i think it's you know cause for celebration for sure because this is groundbreaking something that's never happened before but we do have to kind of bear a few little things in mind as well and you know everything i've just said that's really positive about all these developments take that to one side leave it there and uh, let's just have a quick look at a few other things that might be worth considering here as well so what if this new uap office picks up some very compelling data uh, for example, you know, fast walkers on space radar and, you know, a certain little portion of, um, you know, uh, unclassified data can be shared or at least even if you can't see the visual data, let's say they come back and say we've detected something coming into the Earth's atmosphere, you know, moving around and leaving again. That's definitely not a comment, uh, a comet, sorry. Um, it's definitely not, um, you know, well, I suppose it still could be some kind of adversarial drone, but it's something that we don't understand at this moment. But what if they pick that up, but the AOIMSG question the the uh, the veracity of that? Or, you know, what if the Galileo project picks something up, but the new UAP office doesn't have the same results? What I'm trying to say here is that there are multiple points of contact now for the public to get this information from. And that could be a really good thing if everybody finds the same things. I mean, the AOIMSG is only going to be looking at, um, you know, classified airspace over military facilities. So that may be a little bit different. But still, it could be that with all of these various different points of contact, if they all find things that point to the same conclusion, that's going to be a great thing because you're not only relying on one of these particular groups to provide information to the public, but if you've got a consensus and they're all agreeing and saying, yeah, look, we've seen these things coming in, we've seen them over facilities and, and we've picked them up on a telescope, you know, you're going to say, wow, this is, you know, there's, there's absolutely no doubt there. So that could be a good thing. But there is the chance as well that there could be contradictions there and that, that just something i've been thinking about with all of these different um you know points of contact for the public to get information it it could be a bit tricky so for example if the new uap office um states that they've noticed things uh, coming in from from the, the earth's atmosphere and traveling to um a a secure facility a military facility but the aoimsg come out and say well we haven't said anything in our airspace you know which they may want to do if they're trying to keep these secrets it does get a little bit tricky so as much as it's great that this new office is happening 
I am slightly concerned about the fact that there's quite a few different organisations. But as I said, the fact that there are different groups all looking into the same thing, if there's a consensus there, it actually makes it more compelling. But I just thought it was something I've been thinking about a little bit. I thought it was worth uh, going into there. Another thing is, what if the astro or the new uap officers because it won't be called astro now the aoimsg and the galileo project what if they all report nothing compelling in a year's time so again you know don't don't want to be a debbie downer you know but i i am quite convinced about the ufo uh, phenomenon it's there's something really going on here okay and and if you're coming at it from that angle, it's quite tempting to think that, oh, brilliant, in six months' time, we're going to see satellite data of, of saucers coming in, flying around, deactivating nuclear weapons, and then just going off to Mars or whatever, you know? But what if they don't? What if, just for some reason, all of those three organisations report nothing compelling in a year's time? I mean, I don't know, how likely do you think that is? You know, is it... We all know that the you know the, the trickster phenomenon, as they say, you know, often can can evade capture. You know, in terms of actually being able to um, be detected on on cameras and things like that. And and you know, there's there's people who speculate that it only allows itself to be detected when it wants to be detected. Well, what if the phenomenon is aware of the fact that we've just created these new groups that are looking into it and just avoid the entire planet for a year? I mean, it sounds. You know, or maybe they don't avoid the planet. That's probably probably a little bit too far. But what if they just decide, okay, we'll just make ourselves completely undetectable for a year. Maybe they're still here, but they just go, they're clearly looking into us now. They've got these new groups, so we'll just stay completely off off their detection facilities. You know, there's always that possibility. And, and what I was thinking is, what happens then? You know, if if nothing has been detected, the Galileo project just go look, guys, nothing. You know, we we, we got nothing, and uh, the AOIMSG say, yeah, we've we've got a few sightings, but nothing particularly crazy, and and the new UAP office are saying the same things. What happens then? You know, I mean, obviously, trying to be optimistic here, I don't think that will happen, and I think there will be hopefully multiple, um, you know. Uh, sightings and cases detected by all three of those different organizations but it's worth considering you know what happens if nothing gets detected does that then set back the ufo conversation by decades you know the public are going look you know we've had our best shot at finding out what this thing is and they've come up with nothing you know it's a bit depressing to consider isn't it if you're interested in this topic but you know the skeptics are going to love it if that happens and uh it does strike me that perhaps we're in a bit of a, you know, all or nothing type of situation. And the next couple of years could really determine what the, the following decades hold. You know, if we're going, look, we're throwing everything at this, you know, the American government have gone all in, you know, they've created an office specially to look at this stuff. We've got a separate office looking at mil military facilities. We've got millions of pounds of funding going into the Galileo project. You know, if they all find things that are really compelling, it's going to completely alter the, 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 the conversation. It will no longer be a theory. It will no longer be skeptics won't have a leg to stand on. And it, that will be it. It will be a new reality for the human race, which is going to be unbelievably profound. But on the other hand, if after a couple of years or a year's time or whatever, all three of those organizations come up with nothing, what does that mean? So again, it's... Uh, you know, I've not got a crystal ball at the end of the day, but I do like to speculate on these things. And it just did occur to me, you know, what what's going to happen when these three organisations really kick into gear? You know, it could be literally a disaster in terms of trying to figure out what the phenomenon really is. If they come up with nothing, it's not going to be great, is it? Uh, but on the other hand, if they come up with something, it will change the course of human history forever. You know, it's this is such a... Um, a profound moment in humanity's history whatever happens you know it, it's it's huge so I, I think as well as having said all of that it's kind of important to remain realistic as well i think it is possible that we can approach wording of things like this with you know et craft in mind you know and sometimes when you i think when you approach the wording of these official documents with et craft in mind it can sound a little bit more exciting than it actually is 
So what I try to do, again, this is a bit depressing and not very exciting, but I'm trying to be realistic here and play devil's advocate with myself in a way. Imagine reading the exact same wording with Chinese drones in mind, okay? So, and we have to remember that a big part of the reason that this legislation and these type of things are being taken seriously, a big part of the reason for that is because there is a genuine concern that the Russians and the Chinese have made big strides in technology. And uh, nothing explains that better than the recent hypersonic missile test, you know? All of a sudden, America realized that China have just launched a hypersonic missile that flew all around the world, you know? So there's a lot of people going, what if they've figured out other things as well? And it could be that actually, I'd say it's almost fairly likely that a percentage of the sightings that, that have been witnessed are explained by some kind of adverse adversarial tech, you know? But we have to accept that some of the reason for this you know new um you know the people taking this subject seriously some of that is stemming from concerns about tech from russia and china we all know you know russia building up you know military on on the the borders of ukraine there's a serious flashpoint there you know china taiwan serious flashpoint there you know there's a lot of worrying concern about those two nations in particular and things like the one of the, the little bits of wording that I've, I've mentioned about this particular point in the past is the, the capture and exploit UAP technology. So I think a lot of people just read that as, okay, we're going to capture a flying saucer and try and make our own spaceship, you know? But that's only you can only really read that sentence with that meaning if you already have an ET craft in mind when you read it. If you think a bit with a, a Chinese drone in mind, that exact same wording could just mean we're going to try and capture a transmedium drone that the Chinese have managed to develop and then make our own uh, reverse engineering of, of the Chinese uh, transmedium drone. You know, it's not specifically saying we believe that there are extraterrestrial craft. We've seen things that point to that as being a reality and we're going to try and reverse engineer alien tech to make our own propulsion systems better. It's not saying that. It's leaving the door open for that but it's also, as I said, it could be referring to a lot of other things. And I, I think we have to rein in expectations just a touch, you know, and try and be realistic. Or at least that's what I'm trying to do. And it does, there's a, there's a bit of a kind of nagging thing in the back of my mind about the Condine Report. Um, which is a UK uh, report that came out, uh, which was basically very thorough and extensive and concluded that uap are absolutely real and do get reported and the people who are witnessing them are not crazy and it's genuine stuff but that same report also um concluded that there was no evidence for extraterrestrial uh, craft and what if that happens with with this new uap office what if they uh, you know they have cases and sightings and they witness things and and they conclude that there is definitely something to this phenomenon but there's no proof that it's extraterrestrial craft. They come up with some kind of report, just like the Condine report, and then that's the end of that. Because the, the, being from the UK, the, the last kind of real in-depth explanation that our government gave us as to what's going on with this stuff is that Condine report. And then after that, it was just basically, yeah, we're not even going to have that conversation. And that report, actually, I was talking to Frank Milburn about this when he was on the podcast um, uh, last week or whenever it was. That report actually specifically mentions that it is worth looking into unidentified aerial phenomena from the point of view of being able to um, see if there's any technological advancements to propulsion systems or field generation around craft and things of that nature. And I think what that report was trying to get at is that, you know, even if unidentified aerial phenomena just represents some kind of natural phenomena that's nothing to do with extraterrestrial craft we might still be able to learn things from it now there's different ways you can uh, interpret the wording in that report you could simply you know look at it that that's what it is you know they've concluded genuinely concluded that this is probably just some kind of charged plasma um you know charged particles that has some kind of weird uh, physics type effects that 
that exists naturally within our atmosphere, nothing to do with extraterrestrials, and uh, you know we'll look into it a bit, see if we can learn anything from it for uh, military uses. That's pretty much the gist of what they're trying to put across in the Condine report. But there's also the thing of they might be trying to pass it off as that and, and use vague language. They might actually have some very strong hints that there is an extraterrestrial explanation for some of this stuff. Uh, or you know a large part of this stuff even but in the report we're going to say that it's plasma and blah 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 whilst on the on the other hand we're going to really go down a serious path of trying to look into this stuff but in a completely uh, classified unavailable to the public setting which you know wouldn't surprise me at all because that's basically what the government have been doing isn't it i mean if you look at the american government they've denied the looking into this stuff they've said that it's not real there's no threat don't worry about it we've got it covered and then in the meantime you find out for decades they've had active you know well-funded programs looking into this stuff taking it very very seriously with atip and orsap and things like that and probably a lot of others that we don't know anything about so it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if, if the Condon report was basically a cover to, you know, sort of like put it to bed for now whilst we actually really seriously look into it behind the scenes. And uh, you don't, you never know if, if that kind of thing may actually end up happening again with this new UAP office. So I think the point that I'm trying to make there is um, I'm excited about it. I can't wait to see how it all turns out. But on the other hand, slightly wary about certain aspects of it and i think it's important to make sure you know we don't just you know go okay everything's cool now uh sweet let's just let it all unfold we have to if we want genuine answers and we want to find out what's really going on i think we do have to kind of keep up that pressure to a certain extent and uh just to kind of finish off there then uh speaking of the uk and the condine report and things like that i have um I've written up a bit of a letter for my MP in the UK. Something that I'm just unbelievably um, frustrated by is the UK's response to uh, the, the the phenomena that we, we're witnessing. And um, it just baffles me. And if I, I know a lot of my listeners are actually from the States. I don't know how you guys from the States can listen to like some guy who sounds like Fred Dibner from Bolton talking about UFOs. But, you know, people do. <laughs> so, so thank you. And I hope you can understand what I'm saying with my bizarre no an accent um but you know for those of of the listeners who are from the uk um i urge you guys to do what i'm doing which is send a letter to my mp i've done this in the past um but i was speaking to ash ellis recently from uh, ufo identified uh when i was on his podcast and just after that as well and he was saying he's really trying to um encourage people to write letters and, and on their website ufoidentified.co.uk you can actually find uh, a template which is so that you can actually write to your MP in the UK and urge people to, uh, you know, politicians in the UK to take this more seriously. So I'm going to read out the letter. Uh, if anybody is from the UK and you want a copy of this letter to send out to your MP as well, because um, you, you can only actually communicate with your own MP. You can't just mass mail out to every MP in the country because they won't respond unless you're actually from their constituency. So I'm going to read this out now, but if anybody does want a copy of this text, just email me at ufothinker at hotmail.com and I'll just send you this text and you can then change the names and things and edit it a little bit if you would like and use it as a template. As I say, there's also a template on the UFO Identified uh, website as well, which you can find uh, and, and again, same sort of thing. But I'm going to read it out because I, I just, you know, I took a bit of time to, to write it in a way that I thought was uh, would come across okay. So I thought I'd read it out. So, uh, dear, and the name of my MP, I am writing to you to express a concern that the UK is not taking the necessary steps to look into unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP. I know this subject has historically been a subject of ridicule, but that's changed completely in recent years as new information has come to light. 
In the last few years, the USA has been seen to openly accept the reality of UAP interacting with the military, and the UAP Task Force preliminary report, published in June 2021, describes 144 recorded cases of UAP, with only one case being identified. Since then, the USA has been taking steps to establish new offices and legislation to allow further study in this area. Additionally, it has now come to light that several US programs were active over the last decade, specifically looking into UAP, including ATIP, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, and the more wide-ranging ORSAP, Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Applications Program. One particular case involved F-18 pilots David Fravor and Alex Dietrich, part of the Nimitz Carrier Strike Group, in which a UAP outmaneuvered their aircraft and was witnessed on multiple radar systems with multiple eyewitnesses. This is a case which has been officially acknowledged as genuine by the Pentagon. There are multiple theories as to what UAP may actually be, including plasma phenomena, adversarial advanced craft, or even extraterrestrial vehicles. The fact is, all we can do is speculate until there is serious investigation carried out by the departments within government intelligence that are best placed to do so. How can the UK government continue to ignore this subject, despite the growing public interest and concern? The most recent official answer to the UAP question was in the form of the DI-55 Condine report in which it was clearly stated that there is undoubtedly a phenomenon being observed. The reason given for not pursuing, at least publicly, the research into UAP was that the Ministry of Defence charged with the air defence of the realm are only interested in UAP reports if they are found to reveal a threat or a hazard. In 2021, the USA, amongst other countries, now clearly view UAP issue as a potential national security threat or hazard. If our closest ally is considering UAP to be a national security threat, why on earth is the UK not taking this issue more seriously? Perhaps the UK should reevaluate the validity of study into this area, given the new evidence that has recently come to light, and the willingness of our closest allies in engaging with this topic in a serious and thorough manner. In an amendment to the National Defence Authorisation Act for fiscal year 2022, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand has proposed the creation of a permanent UAP office which will develop procedures for reporting and analysing incidents involving UAP and the proper evaluation of such reports. I think the UK should be keeping up with our allies and taking steps to understand this phenomenon and any threat it might represent. I would like to hear your thoughts on what the UK can do to look into the UAP topic more seriously as a matter of urgency. What efforts can be made to push for a UK-based UAP office? I believe it is time to take this topic seriously and get away from the ridiculous stigma and jokes about little green men. Our allies are looking into this area, as are adversarial nations. The UK should be as well. I look forward to your reply kindest regards blah 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 so there you go i know that's a bit of a long letter but you know i thought it was uh, uh worth reading out in full um and and that's the kind of conversation i'm going to be trying to push forward with my local mp and i'm, I'm going to try and really make some steps to help anybody who's interested in doing the same within the uk to also contact your mps and let's actually try and get some progress in this country i, I love my country i love england i love britain the uk um very proud to live here and uh and i'm just not proud at all unfortunately of the handling of the uap issue it's uh embarrassing um you know when you when you consider how all these other countries around the world are handling it it just seems ridiculous that the uk just wants to sweep it under the rug and the reality of it is is that they're probably not doing that behind closed doors so what we need is is to kind of level the playing field with our our friends and allies in the US. So there you go, guys. Uh, this turned out to be a pretty long breakdown, um, but you know it's one of them. I I, I want to understand what's going on with this, you know, and, and I look into it in quite a lot of detail to try and get the nuances. So 
I wanted to go into that in as much detail as I can. I can't believe my voice is actually held up to this point because I'm feeling super rough again, uh, believe it or not. I'm just hoping that I manage to get over this and then I can enjoy the festive season <clears throat> relatively healthy. So uh, if you've listened all the way through to this bit of the podcast, uh, congratulations, you are a hardcore listener of the podcast. Uh, so thank you very much for sticking with it right till the end, especially through my, uh, my long letter readout that I did. Um, if you don't already, uh, feel free to support the podcast on Patreon. Uh, it's been great to see some people signing up and it, it really helps. Uh, I, I'm not going to be a millionaire from this overnight or anything uh, by any stretch of the imagination. There's definitely not a lot of money in this Um but you know it just helps me to cover my costs for the the podcast and uh, the more support we get in in that way the more time i can devote to it and uh, i would love to be able to as time goes along invest in some decent camera equipment maybe even make some documentary films i've got some pretty big plans but obviously it's all about the support um to to be able to bring those to life uh, so big thanks to everybody who supports on patreon and uh, i'll keep getting those early episodes for you guys to say thanks for your ongoing support really appreciate it and uh, you can find the patreon links in the show description for anybody who would like to sign up Um, and until next time guys take it easy stay curious and i'll catch you on the flip side UFO Podcast.